0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese. And once again, joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, it's amazing already. But the Hear Buster series concludes this evening with the 2020 quarterback class. How are you doing this evening?
1: I Well, I am just stoked because for the first time, it feels like, I mean, last year, you know, we had some quarterbacks to talk about, obviously, and, and in the past years, maybe we could argue we've been spoiled, but I do think that this class has some tremendous top end talent that you just can't ignore. And there's, and I think there's a little bit something for everybody here. I think there's, you know, players that are going to potentially be, you know, that versatile mobile quarterback that's becoming all the rage suddenly and finally in the NFL and then I think you're going to have those those more traditional pocket passers but yet they're still going to have that mobile component that is still going to be there but you're gonna I think you're just going to see a, a variety of things is my point and I'm just excited to talk about this class and dig into it as we close out what is arguably probably our favorite series of the year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is our chance to talk about so many prospects again, after we did more film analysis for the, the recent season, it kind of sets the stage for the combine. So they're, they're so fun, these episodes and trying to put them in tears. And this quarterback class is really unique in its own right. It, it's got depth. It's got star power. So let's get right into it and break it down a little bit. We've talked about these guys a lot. So over the months, you've heard full detailed analysis on a lot of these top quarterback prospects. So we're not we're not giving full profiles tonight. You know, you can you can check out the premium notebooks where we have all of the details on every aspect of these quarterbacks, but these are guys that we've talked a lot about, especially the top end guys. Uh so it's just going to be more of a a snapshot of these guys, why they're in our tier 1, what excites us about these guys. So let's kick it off with tier one in the in the first tier for the quarterback position. We think these are first round selections in the NFL draft. We think they are potential franchise quarterbacks. We think their ETA in terms of starting is day one or the beginning of year two. We think these guys are round two dynasty rookie picks if it's a one QB league. And we think these are round one dynasty rookie picks in super flex or two quarterback leagues. So my tier one consists of four names but you almost can really break it up to two tiers within that first tier. Because for me, the top of that tier one is Joe Burrow out of LSU, and then obviously Tua Tonga Valoa out of Alabama, followed by the second group in that tier one, who I still consider potential franchise quarterbacks, but maybe just the development a little bit uh, more needed, but maybe starting by year two or later in year one. And that's Justin Herbert out of Oregon and Jordan Love out of Utah State. I mean, Burrow and Tua, we've talked about these guys all year. The only question with Tua really is the medical component. How does the medical checkup? He's had multiple injuries now, obviously the hip one, a very serious injury, you know, but Tua, his ball placement, his accuracy, his touch, his playmaking ability, his ability to solve problems, you know, are all top end type talent, his mobility, his ability to play off structure, throw on the run, you know, very fluid, very natural. That's Tua's game. You know, his accuracy is pinpoint. You know, there's not a lot of things that Tua hasn't been able to do on the football field, but for him, the durability and the injury history is a big one. Joe Burrow, one of the most remarkable stories that we've seen. I liked him more than most before the season started, but even liking him more than most, I thought he was a late second a late day two, early day three selection. And now he's pretty much locked in as the first pick probably in the NFL draft you know, you watch him play, you see part Andrew Luck, you see part Matt Ryan, you see part Tom Brady, you know, and I know these are lofty names that were thrown out there. My favorite thing about Burrow is his ability to keep his eyes down the field as he navigates the pocket. And he does a great job buying time in the pocket, sliding to his left, sliding to his right, stepping up, waiting for his receivers to get open. And then he throws the ball with accuracy, good ball placement. He doesn't have this great level arm talent. It's probably above average to good if we're being honest, but he gets it to where it needs to be. He can make every NFL throw, and his leadership skills stand out to me. His confidence that he plays in, his decision-making, his ability to go through progressions, to me, Burrow is, is a top end type talent. Uh, and him and two would kind of stand near at the top of that tier one, but don't get lost in Herbert and love as well, because Herbert is really unique. He's got top level arm talent, uh, good athleticism and mobility. He's got to clean up some decision making issues at time, even though his turnovers numbers were low. I think he's got to show that he can handle pressure a little bit better and then still show that he can be that. That leader, that guy who can take control of, of a huddle and and be a guy that can, can rise up in the big moments. I think those are the question marks that people still have on Herbert that we have yet to see answered. And then Jordan Love, Jordan Love, really poor statistical season, but there's traits there, and it's it goes back to the conversation Matt and I had years ago about Josh Allen. Let's not knock him for the lack of playmakers around him. He lost his coaching staff. He lost most of his top receivers. He lost his running back. He lost most of his offensive line. He tried to do too much this year. You got to try to separate the talent from the statistics. And I think Love has a lot of upside, a lot of talent, but he needs some growth and development. He's a guy that I think would benefit by not playing much his rookie year, maybe late in the year, get some starts, and then be ready to go by year two and, and let him kind of learn the pro game a little bit because there's a lot to work with tools wise with Jordan Love.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, so I mean, you, you pretty much rattled off a lot of the guys that I would have already talked about. My tier one is actually significantly smaller than yours. I mean, um, my tier one actually has uh Joe Burrow, uh, two Tagovailoa, and Justin Herbert. And I pretty much stop there. Um I, I think those guys, uh, you know, I, while, you know, Jordan Love I, I really do love. I think the homage that we've paid to Jordan Ludge throughout this particular season has been quite well documented. I think that, you know, he's a player that's still developing. I think there's a lot of like there's a lot of um sensitivity and intuition to his throws. I think his controlling of the trajectory of the football relative to the routes of his different receivers is really interesting and well done. And I think there's moments of um, a deaf skill that he displays, especially, you know, when he's on the move, especially when he's on the move and not in the pocket. I do think there's incredible movement skill there. Um, but I do think that he's the type of quarterback that I think you're going to have to ultimately develop. I mean, so he's, that's why he kind of still fell out of the range for me. I think he's a a starter potential. He's a guy who's going to start down the road. He's a, at least a high end backup right now. Um, but for me, it's really Justin Herbert. Um, Tua and, and, uh, Joe Burrow. And I think the guy, you know, that emerged for me this year was Joe Burrow. I mean, I can't deny what he did and what he showed on the field. And I don't think we have to rehash how amazing that season was for him. And I think you're right. I think Tua Tagovailoa is, you know, is going to be the guy that I think that movement skill, um, is impressive. The injury is a concern. Um, I'm battling, Paul, honestly, between Tua and, you know, Joe Burrow. And I think, you know, if you really said to me right now, if I were, you know, an NFL team and I had to take a player, um, you know, who would I take? And, I, and I'd and be very concerned about the injury. I need that medical. If it was a clean medical, if it was a clean medical, Paul, I'm taking Tua. That's, that's what I'll say. If it's a clean medical, I'll take Tua. If it's not a clean medical or there are long-term concerns or considerations to be worried about, and it's Joe Burrow for me, and I know that that might sound like blasphemy for a lot of players. You know, people might be saying, "How could you? How could you slight Joe Burrow?" I, I don't. I don't think it's a slight, guys. I, I generally, I genuinely think you're talking about two players at their respective position that really are just both that good, and I and I don't think it's necessarily a slight. I I don't think it's a slight on either one of them. I think it's it's preferential. What do you prefer? And I think in this. You know, I think in the modern up-tempo NFL, I think Joe Burrow has shown that he can do that. I think he's shown that he can win with his legs when needed. He's shown that he can live inside the pocket and throw on the move. He's shown all that. Um, but I also think Tua has shown the capacity to um do that as well, and I think at times he's done it in more complex problems than let's say Burrow has. And then maybe that's, you know, splitting hairs, but I mean, I I mean, I think I think two is a very, very good quarterback and I and I'd be really hard-pressed not to take him number one, um, if it's a clean medical. As it stands right now, not knowing that. If, like I said, I I'm, I have Burrow number one right now. Um, but if it's a clean medical, Paul, it would be it would be two for me. So I mean that that's why they're they're both in that tier. And I think Justin Herbert is, um, you know, as you said earlier, I think Justin Herbert is a player that really just if he'd come out last year, he's probably the top quarterback off the board. You know, and now here we are, and he stays another year, and I think people are just poking holes in him. And I, I don't think he's any less the prospect, so to speak, that he was the year before. He's a great player, and I think a team is going to build with him. Um and I think he's a great building block for a team going forward. So I I, I really do like Justin Herbert. But that's I mean that the two Tua, uh the Tua a burrow conversation to me comes down to medical and i I'll, I'll never know for sure what that answer is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you make the point. Like, listen, if Tua was clear, I I don't know. I might, I might have Tua ahead too. Like, it's that close. Like, there's so much about Tua's game that I truly do love. And I watched so much Joe Burrow this year and so much LSU. And it was, it was watching him. And did what he did this year. It was a, it, you only could come away super impressed with what he did because he was making things and he was doing things that do translate to the next level. And that was, yes, he, he had a tremendous, tremendous wide receiver group at his disposal, but so did Tua. Yes, yeah, you know, so he, he had a great running game, but so did Tua, you know, so it, I don't want to sit here and, and, and say that the LSU's you know, surroundings is what led to Joe Burrow's great year, but then not acknowledge that Tua had just as good over his whole career there at, at, at Alabama. They're very different style players, but I think both of them could be high-end franchise-type quarterbacks at the next level, and it's going to be interesting to kind of see where they go. I think there's a chance that if the med- Tua's medicals check out, you could see him go as high as three, whether it's the Lions or team trading up. Uh, I don't see any way that both of them aren't off the board before uh, the end of pick five. I think that's I think that's the absolute furthest that Tua could fall if if the medicals are okay. And I also think Herbert's very much in the mix in the six seven eight range. And yeah, I think you're right. I think last year if Herbert comes out, yeah, okay. I think Arizona was locked in the Kyler Murray. So, but I do think. Herbert probably goes ahead of Dwayne Haskins and he probably goes ahead of Daniel Jones and he might be the guy there were there were a lot of whispers in New York that he was the he was the eye of the Giants uh organization now maybe Daniel Jones would have changed their mind but prior to the pre-draft process, there was a lot of whispers in New York that Justin Herbert was the guy that the Giants, you know, kind of had targeted that he, they looked at him as a, as a guy that they thought could be a franchise quarterback. So maybe he would have been the pick for the Giants. We'll, we'll never know, but I do think him staying longer, like usual, opens himself up for criticism. And I think that's what happened a little bit this year, but I do think there's some concerns about him stepping up in big moments. He checks off every box you want him to check off on in in terms of a a check mark, a checklist. It's how does he handle the big moments? And I do think there's a little bit left for him to prove in that area. And we've seen Joe Burrow and we've seen Tua answer the the bell. Kind of like when we go back to the, you know, I was sold on Deshaun Watson when I saw him against Alabama in those two national championship games. I think we've seen Joe Burrow and Tua rise up in, in big moments to feel like they could handle the big moment in the NFL. I think there's still question marks on Justin Herbert in that regard. And I think that's the, what NFL teams are trying to figure out. I still think he's going top 10. I think he's probably going top seven or eight, uh, maybe even top five as well. But I think that's where uh, the questions loom. So if we take this to tier two, tier two for us, is made up of guys that we consider day two prospects. So we're thinking round two, round three. We think these guys have starter potential or high end backup or spot starter. A player you can win with, but maybe lacks consistency. So again, a team drafts a guy in round two, especially early round two, they're looking at him to be a starter. A team drafts a guy mid to late round three, it could be a guy that they envision to be a high end backup with the potential to groom into a starter but they're probably not counting on it. You know, CJ Better was a late third round pick. Davis Webb for the Giants, you know, similar things. So, I do think there's a a big difference in whether you go early to mid round 2 or you go late round for rake in terms of what the NFL teams picking look at you as. So there is a it's a little bit of a wide spectrum here. You know, we think these are mid to late round dynasty rookie picks in one QB fantasy leagues and round two to round three dynasty rookie picks in Superflex or two quarterback leagues. Uh my tier two is made up of three names. It is Jake Fromm out of Georgia. It is Jacob Eason out of Washington and it is Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma. These three players could not be more different. Jake Fromm is the guy who nothing athletically wows you. He has average to above average arm talent. His accuracy is good in the short to intermediate range, but there's some questions about it vertically down the field. His physical capabilities in terms of athleticism, mobility are just about average, but the intangible stuff, everything you hear, everything you read is through the roof, good studier, good teammate, good leader, uh, that stuff- on, you know, working hard is, is all top notch. Matt, you've mentioned it before, an Alex Smith type vibe. I think he's a guy who's going to be drafted in day two. I think he's going to probably have a good chance to become a starting NFL quarterback, and he has the capability to be an average starting quarterback somewhere on the Andy Dalton to Alex Smith type spectrum in terms of what you ask of him. I think that's who Jake Fromm could be. Jacob Eason? He's got all the physical gifts in the world in terms of arm talent. He can throw the ball. He might have the best arm talent of anybody in this draft class in terms of velocity and strength. He showed some improvement this year in terms of his accuracy. Accuracy, I still think there's some refinement there. He can make every NFL throw. But he's got to work on his touch and anticipation. He's got to know when to take some off of that fastball that he has. He's got to be able to get through progressions and get through and make better decisions. So he's a lot of upside. He's a traditional pocket passer with a gigantic arm. But he's got stuff he's got to work on. Maybe he gets pushed in the round one. I think he's more of a day two guy. And then you got Jalen Hurts. Before the season, he's probably a UDFA quarterback prospect, probably drafted to be an athlete and change positions, but he showed growth and development this year. He's got that athleticism. He's got that mobility. He can play off structure. He's got good running capabilities, not Elite level bursts and acceleration like Lamar Jackson, but he he's got power to his runs. He's got good play strength. He can run through tackles. He's got he takes good angles, which is it makes things difficult. And he showed growth and improvement. He's got the arm talent to push the ball vertically down the field or outside the numbers, but he's got to get better with his accuracy and ball placement, more consistency, better job again through progressions, better decision making. But he's a guy who just solves problems on a football field. If that's your intent for your quarterback, solve problems, make winning plays. Put you in a position to score. I think Jalen Hurts could be drafted somewhere on round three. And if a team's willing to build an offense around him, I think he could be a functional starter at the next level. But you got to cater to his skill sets and know who he is and where his developmental areas are and, and try to make sure you cater your team around his strengths.
1: Well, I mean, we actually don't differ other than one player who I mentioned earlier in terms of Jordan Love out of Utah State. But I've got Jake Fromm in this in this tier as well from Georgia. I've got Jacob Eason from Washington and Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma. And I think you did a nice job contextualizing the the kind of you know mixed bag of tricks this particular class is at this position when it comes to this particular tier. I don't really have much to add other than to to, to drop a couple of little nuggets about each one of them. I mean, Jake Fromm, I, I'm still a fan of Jake Fromm. I do not think, and I will not buy into this narrative that he is just a vastly, you know, overmatched quarterback and his time at Georgia has been, you know, fell short of being, you know, um, has been anything but underwhelming. I don't think that's what he was, you know, as a player coming out of high school. Um, you know, the, 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 the reports on him coming out of high school or the, was the ability to lead, was the ability to run a team, be that commander inside the pocket and function in offense. And I think that you saw that even at the the level, you know, at Georgia, I think you saw it at the next level as well. So I think that that particular um, skill set is something that's really important at the NFL level. And I think, as you said, he'll have a chance to start. I think he's going to be in a competition. I think he very well might win out uh and do that. And I think he's a player that I'm, you know, kind of interested in seeing what happens to him. Jordan Love is, is the player that I think is most deserving of potentially jumping a tier. But I mean, I also think that there's a lot for him to improve on as well. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about Jacob Eason. I think he's the guy, the poster child, so to speak, for the position. Um, but he's never really been able to put it all together. He's got to really, really develop that sensitivity to the trajectory of the routes of his respective players. I mean, you can't just, you know, I mean, I think the thing about being, you know, a quarterback is, is, is that again, if you kind of look at what your objective goals are, you know, your objective goal is to distribute the football to your playmakers, gain yards, and improve your circumstances of your team in order to gain points and gain yards. And however you do that is however you do that. Some players are going to do it like Jalen Hurts and guys like Tua, where when necessary, they're going to get off and running um then you're going to see players that are, are more like Jake Fromm they're going to they're going to hang in they're going to hang in that pocket until they find the player uh that they can distribute the football to and that's same just like Joe Burrow's as well they're going to find the guy that they can throw the football to and move the ball down the field with the with the playmakers that they have on offense but the goal is to move the football down the field and you know Jacob Eason, when you watch him play you know when you watch him play the position there's times where I I it just he looks he looks he looks hesitant. He looks a little indecisive. He looks, doesn't look like he's really connected to the situation and what's going on. And, and like you said, he's sometimes he's got to take a little bit off that ball because he doesn't throw a catchable ball at times. And I think that a catchable ball means that you have sensitivity to your player's ability to catch the football, but also their proximity to you to make the throw and what that should look like as well as their, you know, as well as the capacity to take enough off the ball where it's a catchable ball. And I don't get that from him at times. And and that just shows a lack of sensitivity to me. And I think that's something that's plagued him since he's kind of come out of high school. It's never been about physical talent. And that's never been the problem. It's It's about the ability to channel, calibrate, and attune that physical talent to the circumstances of the game in order to make the players around you better. And I think there are just players in this particular quarterback class that do that a lot better than him. But I think if you're looking for a project, if you're looking for if you're looking for the Christian Hackenberg you could do again, then I think that's what you're looking for in Jacob Eason. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we, we went wrong with Christian Hackenberg. How can we not let Christian Hackenberg happen again? Well, this is your second shot is Jacob Beeson. Yeah, I, I think I think
0: you're spot on with that. I think it's going to be interesting. So, as the NFL has evolved and changed more, we have gotten away from those traditional pocket passing quarterbacks, those guys that only can win from the pocket. So it's going to be interesting to see what the NFL views a guy like Jacob Eason. It's really going to be fascinating to me because I do think he has that. Elite level arm talent, but, but where does that put him in the spectrum of what the NFL views now? Because it's, it's a different game now. It's, it's, it's 15 years ago, Jacob Eason would be a top 10 pick based on tr- height, frame, arm talent, the end. You know what I mean? Like it just would be, but now it, it's very different. I think how these guys are being evaluated. So it's going to be fascinating. So let's take this to tier three. Tier 3 is made up of guys that we consider round 4 to round 6 NFL draft picks. So again, a little bit of a wide range. You go early round 4, you're probably going to be looked at as a guy who can be a, a hopefully a high end backup, maybe even a spot starter if need be. You go round 6, you're a little bit more of a developmental prospect, uh, you know, probably start out as a third stringer and, and try to work your way up to being a backup quarterback. So there's a little bit a little bit of a wide range here, but you know, day three type guy, uh, you know, not just a li- a last round flyer. So we kind of group around four to six. We think they a developmental quarterback that may have a chance to start in a few years down the line, but most likely would develop into a backup or third string quarterback. We think in terms of fantasy, they're watch list guys in one quarterback leagues, late round, uh, picks in super flex or two quarterback leagues that pretty much, you know, roster, you know, all rookie quarterbacks in my tier three, it is made up of a handful of guys. We have Anthony Gordon out of Washington state, really prolific statistical season replacing Gardner Minshew. Uh, I think Gordon offers some, some, some positive traits. I think he's arm talent is probably only average to above average. Same thing with his athleticism and mobility, but he's accurate in the short to intermediate range. He goes, he goes through his progressions quickly, gets the ball out quickly. He's got a quick, clean release, uh, He's got some footwork issues that he's gotta clean up, but uh if you ask him to play the style of system that he played at Washington State, I think he could be. I think he could be a functional backup uh spot starter at the next level. Shea Patterson out of Michigan. He's a guy that Matt and I have talked about a lot and I just can't quit him. Some people might have him, you know, not in this range and maybe even way further down, but the athletic ability, the arm talent attached to the athletic ability, his ability to move around the pocket buy time. You can do RPO stuff with him. You uh, can throw on the run. He's a little bit of a playmaker. I'll keep coming back to the the transfer to Michigan might have been the worst thing that, that Shea Patterson ever did in his career. And you wonder how much it's going to set him back uh, if he would have just stayed at Ole Miss and not transferred to Michigan. It was never the right scheme or system for him, but there's still athletic capabilities and arm talent that, that intrigue me about Patterson. It's his inconsistencies and his poor decision-making that have, have him further down the rankings. And for some people, not even a draftable prospect, but I still see some aspects of his game that intrigued me. Cole McDonald out of Hawaii, he is a surprise entry into this draft class. I thought he would definitely go back for a senior year, but he's got a lot of arm talent to make every NFL throw. He's got good athleticism and mobility. He can make plays happen off script, throw on the run, but he's got to improve in a handful of areas accuracy at all three levels of the field, decision-making, handling pressure, progression reading, but there's a lot of tools there that I think an NFL team in round five or round six is going to be intrigued by Cole McDonald's skill set and see if they can harness it into something. James Morgan out of FIU, uh, he was at the Shrine game. but surprise, surprised he didn't maybe get the call up to the Senior Bowl, but it was a good Senior Bowl quarterback group. I think James Morgan is a draftable prospect. I think he's a round five, round six guy. He's got the arm talent to make every NFL pro. He's got average athleticism, but he... He's accurate at all three levels of the field. I think Morgan for a small school, smaller school type prospect is an intriguing prospect that offers a lot of upside. Jake Luden out of Oregon State. This is a guy who has gotten no attention, but I just watched him recently adding him to the scouting notebook. This is a guy who I think the NFL is going to be interested in. He's got great size and frame. He's got good arm talent in terms of strength and velocity. He's got a traditional pocket passer, but he's got... Average to above average accuracy. He's got a clean release and delivery. He's got good touch, good decision making. Takes care of the footballs. Twenty eight touchdowns. I think only four interceptions this year. He's a, he's probably around five, round six guy. But I like his overall game. Yeah, he's not going to be a guy who's much in terms of mobility and playing off structure. He's got to show that he can go through progressions a little bit quicker. Kind of latched onto his first read a little bit too often, but it was open and he was efficient in that. But I think the NFL is going to be interested by him. Uh, and then rounding out is Nate Stanley out of Iowa. I never saw the the support that some people had for this guy as they thought a first or second day pick uh, over the last two years. I think he's more of a round five, round six guy, uh, a guy who's got some arm talent, but uh, it's got some athleticism, but accuracy issues, uh, consistency issues have plagued him for a couple of years at Iowa, and I still think they're issues that he has not refined enough to make him much more than you know a round five, round six prospect. Uh, but he does some have some that. Math- natural, athleticism and, and arm talent capabilities that will intrigue teams.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, do you look at this particular group? And I have a lot of the same players in that third tier for me. I've got Gordon, I've got Patterson, I've got McDonald and I've got Morgan. And that's the, I got to tell you out of that entire group, the guys that really get me excited, are really Gordon and Shea Patterson. I mean, Anthony Gordon, for example, I mean, let's talk about a little bit like just just how amazing he was, you know, at the end of the year on the all-star circuit in terms of what he was able to accomplish and how great he looked. But also let's talk about the idea of what, you know, a player or quarterback coming from the air raid offense really means, you know, for the NFL. I mean, these are guys that, have thrown the ball like 2,000 times or something to that effect. I mean, so when you talk about being in an offense now where you're going to have to throw the ball and as the NFL kind of progresses towards, you know, a pass first league, you know, run second league, and that becomes the staple of what we're going to do is run to pass, pass to run, pass to pass, pass. Um, when we become more of a passing league, you know, these guys that have thrown the ball thousands of times now, these are the guys that you, you, you want at quarterback because these are the guys when we talk about sensitivity, being able to adjust trajectories of the football, you know, he's the type of player that has the capacity and the experiential kind of reservoir to really do that and probably to jump right in and get ready to play now. And that's really what I think is going to intrigue um, NFL teams about you know Morgan is this idea that you know about Gordon is that this idea that he is going to be able to play potentially right now for a team um, at least in a backup role you know he's going to be that good in terms of what he does. Listen, Jay Patterson, it's like Jared Stidham, man. I just can't quit him either. I mean, I, you know, I look back at Jay Patterson, I think about him out of high school. He was incredible in high school. I mean, he was an incredible passer in high school. And then when he came up to Ole Miss, he was like thrown into the mix and he was really good at Ole Miss too, running that, you know, quasi air raid type of up-tempo offense that they ran at Ole Miss. He just, like Jared Stidham, who went to Auburn, I don't know what made him think Michigan was going to showcase him in any way, shape, or form. And now listen... That's not to absolve him of some of the horrendous throws that he's made. And I'm sure he'd be the first one to come on a show like this and be like, yeah, there, I, there were a lot of times that I just, I really, it was on me, but that's no excuse. I mean, he's got to clean that up as he moves forward, but I think you're going to see teams. There's going to be a team that I think takes an interest in him that is willing to take him and say, Hey, listen, let's make you our second or third QB. Probably our third QB. We'll let you hold the clipboard's clipboard. Seattle. Seattle's going to draft him in round six or round seven. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Because he's the guy who I think you look at him like, pretty much like New England, I think, looks at Jared Stidham. And I think you're going to say, there's things we can do. There's ways to make it a functional relationship for us on this team. And when it comes to backup quarterbacks, they cost money too. So if I can free up cap space by getting a diamond in the rough late in the draft, and I could potentially make that one less position that I have to fill on my roster to fill out my cap, I'm going to do it because backup quarterbacks are expensive. And now I'm going to tell you this, the more up-tempo quote unquote that we get now in the NFL, the more that these quarterbacks are going to be avail themselves to more punishment. We could see quarterbacks, you know, Go down and and need need to be spelled, you know. And I and I think these guys that are offered these these movement skills like Shea Patterson does do. He offers them. It may not be consistent, but he does offer them. I think they're going to be more of a commodity than we think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on. And again, the NFL is changing, so I think. Patterson is a guy who could offer a spark. And again, you gotta know who he is and you gotta have the right scheme for him. And I think the narrative on Shay Patterson would be very different if he played in a different scheme. Like you said, I don't want to absolve him and pretend like this is all because he played for Michigan. Like, like I'm not going to sit here and, and throw a pity party for him having the ability to go play at Michigan, one of the, you know, the top 10 or 15 universities in the country. But I do think for his skill set, It was a poor choice. And I think the narrative around Shea Patterson would be a little bit different if he chose a different style of team and a different style of offense. He, you know, Jim Harbaugh there tried to fit Shea Patterson into that offense, which is a much more conservative pro style offense. And I just don't think that caters to Shea Patterson's playmaking ability. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I hope he gets a shot as a, as a late round pick uh, and it's in an offense that maybe allows him to, to blossom a little bit uh, as a backup, third stringer or eventually a backup, and maybe he gets a chance down the line. So so let's round this out. I have some guys in, in my tier four that I did I did want to mention, uh, and then we'll close out for uh, this evening. Uh, tier four for us are, are guys that straight out, they're late round picks. So round seven or UDFA selections, practice squad or third string quarterbacks uh, or limited exposures too. So the guys that are in my Tier four are, are the rest of the guys that I have personally uh, watched and it, it's, it's a decent list. And it starts out with Steven Montez out of Colorado. I think he's got some natural ability. He's got top level arm talent in terms of velocity and strength, uh, and average accuracy, but his decision making, his progressions areas that he struggles with. Touch and anticipation, uh inconsistencies. So that's Steven Montes. Kevin Kevin Davidson at a Princeton's unique prospect. He was at the shrine game. Again, he's a guy who has the arm talent. He can make most, he can make every NFL throw. He's he threw a good accuracy. He's an intriguing guy, again, smaller level of competition. But to me, he's a guy that offers a lot because he's got that ideal size and frame. He's got accuracy, even vertically down the field. He throws with good touch and anticipation. I think he's a prototypical developmental quarterback with around seven or or high priority free agent grade, because that's, I think, Davidson. I think he's a unique player. You put him on a practice squad, you put him at your third stringer for a couple of years and you see how he develops. Uh, Bryce Perkins out of Virginia. I just watched him last week. Highly athletic. In today's NFL, I think there is a home for Bryce Perkins. His capability running the ball, but he's also got some arm talent with him. It's not. It's probably average, but if you combine that average arm talent with his athleticism and mobility, I think he's a round seven or a priority free agent type grade that he can intrigue teams. Surprised he's not at the combine relative to some other guys, to be honest with you. Mason Fine at North Texas. Good thrower to football, good touch, and his patient, better arm talent than I think people would expect because of his size and stature. Uh, can go through progressions and decision making, but really small, uh, not very athletic, more of a pocket passer, but. But a guy who's five, nine, 195 pounds. So you know we've seen smaller quarterbacks make it, but he's really at a different level than some of those other guys who usually are you know combine their arm talent with atle- high end athleticism and mobility to move around the pocket. That's not really Mason Fine's game. Tyler Huntley out of Utah, really productive season this year again. Good athlete can move around a little bit. Not a huge runner in terms of statistical production. Uh, I think his arm talent and accuracy is probably about average. You know, he's got some issues with his decision making and going for progressions. Not sure how his game translates, but really productive college player. I think could be around seven or, or priority free agent. Uh, Kelly Bryan out of Missouri. I was kind of hoping to see him take the next step when he left Clemson. I don't think he really showed enough. Uh, he's got some aspects of his game that I think, you know, are interesting, but as a complete package, uh, I think he's a guy who, he would need some time and development. And then Brian Luarkey out of Michigan state, you know, two years ago, there were people who were potentially before, you know, last, not the season that just passed the one before that we're looking at Luarkey as a high level prospect, similar to Nate Stanley. I just didn't see it. A lot of inconsistencies. He has some mobility and athleticism move around the pocket, uh, you know, but, Accuracy issues, decision making issues. Uh, there's a lot in terms of Luarkey that, that let, left me scratching my head a little bit. Again, he's at the combine. I think a guy like Bryce Perkins is more interesting, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, so not sure about that one. Even Tyler Huntley, I think he's a little more interesting than, than Luarkey, Uh, but hopefully he could, uh, impress and, and at least, uh, end up on an NFL roster because there was a time that people were, were very high on Luarkey, uh, but very inconsistent the last two seasons. Matt, any thoughts, uh, on this group of guys here? I know you, did, you didn't get to go as far as I did, but some of these guys are guys we've talked about in the past. Is there yep. one or two from my name, from my list that intrigue you a little bit in terms of see what happens? Seventh round pick, priority free agent, get them in camp and see if they can do some development?
1: Yeah, no, I I think Davidson out of Princeton is, is a guy that stood out to me because I saw him at the Shrine game. I watched him kind of that unfold, that story unfold, and it drew me back to the tape. And you definitely see a lot of characteristics about him that make him very, very intriguing. And I think he's a guy that I would definitely pull out from that group and look forward to as the actual combine and everything else progresses around draft time. So Paul, I mean, let, let me just kind of put it this, this, this way. Okay. If we were sitting now, cause this is kind of the culmination, right? If we're going to do, if we're sitting here in, in, as a culmination of all these players, now, as we kind of get ready now, all these tiered players, we haven't really talked about mixed tiers or anybody that we really have, you know, in that first grouping. So I'm just curious if if you and I are going to go let's let's just let's just assume let's just do a, a a 10 just a 10 player quick little mock draft one round how these guys might settle in we'll say super flex we'll say um tight end premium so there's a little extra for the tight ends and we'll say that it's uh PPR so if you had the first pick my friend who would you go with in this particular class who would be your first pick
0: I mean, if it's a super flex league, I'm going to lean towards the quarterback prospect, especially since I think we have two upper level ones. Uh, I'm going to say Joe Burrow because of the durability and, and health concerns with Tua. And as much as Tua has that mobility to his game, I, I don't think it's something that translates to fantasy production. He's never been a big statistical output guy with, with rushing capabilities. If, I, if anything, Joe Burrow has actually put up greater statistical rushing production in college. And I think his body type uh, could potentially lead to some more rushing touchdowns and might be more willing to. So in a super flex setting, I would take Joe Burrow one.
1: Yeah. And you know what, in a super flex setting, I agree with you. I, I, I want to zag where you zig, but I probably would stay quarterback as well. I'll probably take two at number two.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd probably come back now and I'd probably, uh, shift gears and and head to the running back position and take my number one running back. Even though I do think landing spot and opportunity is dramatically going to impact the top five running backs. So right now on, on talent alone, Deandre Swift is my top running back. So I would probably say Deandre Swift would be my next pick.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to probably go not to the running back position. I think I'm going to probably go for assuming my team is just building from the ground up. I'm probably going to go with a positional a position. That's going to be a little bit more um staunch over time. I'm, I'm going to take a very rock solid safe pick in Jerry Judy at wide receiver.
0: Yeah, I mean I I could see that. I could have even have taken him ahead of uh DeAndre Swift. Uh, but I do think uh, you know, I went with the running back, but I think the the wide receiver is right there as well. Uh I'll probably go back to the running back group, to be honest with you, and and go with J.K. Dobbins, his versatility in terms of impacting the game as a rusher and a receiver. I know the lifespan of running backs is not nearly as long as the wide receivers, but at the the elite level depth of this class of the wide receiver position, I still would probably look to target a running back who I think has RB1 potential for a period of time. So I'd probably take J.K. Dobbins next.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm literally putting up field goal signs in my mind as you take JK Dom, as I'm going to go and get my boy over there, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I think to your point, I think I want to invest in running backs that I think are both receivers and runners because I think that increases their long-term shelf life and capacity to be viable in the fantasy setting as well as the NFL setting. So I think I'm going to come back with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So just to kind of, kind of pretty much round out to this or, or where we are right now to recap at number one, we had Joe. Burroughs at number two. We took Tua Tagovailoa out of Alabama. At number three, we take DeAndre Swift from Georgia at number four coming in. We get Jerry Judy out of Alabama. At number five, we get J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. And then at number six, we have Clyde Edwards Hilaire out of UC- L- out of LSU. So Paul, at number seven, what are you thinking?
0: I'd, I'd probably lean towards C.D. Lamb, a couple of running backs on the board, uh, but I'd probably go C.D. Lamb, who right now is my wide receiver too. Uh, his upside, his big playability, his ball skills, uh probably going to have a lot of draft capital attached to him as well. So he'd be my pick at pick number seven.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to come right back and go, and believe it or not, I'm actually going to go back to the running back position. I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor. I think that Jonathan Taylor is going to be a rock solid NFL running back, and I would have no problem taking him and saying, you know what, like you said, several years at RB1 is is good enough for me. So I'll take him at the number eight spot. So we have two more picks left, Paul. Uh, maybe we'll stretch it out to 12. But right now, two more picks left. What are you thinking?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of wide receivers that intrigue me right here. But I think I'm going to jump back on the bandwagon of the last running back that I oh. think is really warrants potential oh, there is. in round one. I'm going to take Cam Akers. I think, oh. I think we are going to see his, his value skyrocket, skyrocket. over the next few months that I don't think there's going to be much difference between the top five running backs when push comes to shove. I think they're all going to be in high demand for fantasy. And I think based on landing spot and opportunity, any of them could be the first running back taken off the board in dynasty rookie drafts, whether it's Swift, whether it's Dobbins, whether it's Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, and I think Cam Akers is very much in the mix. So I think I would take Cam Akers right now over uh, the plethora of wide receiver choices still out there.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to have to go back to the wide receiver position. I'm going to leave the running back position. I'm rolling a little bit and I'm going to say, you know what, to join my core nucleus of wide receivers that I'm building on team kick Paul's rear end. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to, we're going to have Jalen Rager, uh, out of TCU. I, I love Jalen Rager. I think the NFL will literally untap, take his potential and unleash it. Um, I, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player at the next level. He's my wide receiver too. Um, and he's been like that since the preseason. I'm, I'm just excited for him. He's one of those guys that I have my kung fu grip all over.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to go back to the wide receivers myself, uh, and my wide receiver three. And it's almost a coin flip between, uh, this player and CD lamb for my wide receiver two spot. And I'm going to select T Higgins, uh, at a Clemson. I love the ball skills. I love the body control. I think he's got better movement skills than people. We'll give him credit for. He reminds me a lot in some ways of an AJ Green type player. Maybe doesn't have the top end speed that AJ Green had, but I I think the rest of his game is very similar in that regards. Uh, so I'm going
1: to take T, uh, T Higgins at pick 11. So to round out the first round and to take our last pick in our. Really awkward, impromptu, first round, dynasty, not really super flex kind of PPR with tight end premium. We're going to take that league and we're going to finish it off with. I'm going to go right back to the well, Paul. I'm going to go right back, um, to the well and I'm going to take my man, Kung Fu grip all over him, Brian Edwards. I'm going to take Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. And I feel pretty confident, you know, about leaving with a potential nucleus of, you know, Jerry Judy and Jalen Rager. And Brian Edwards. I, I really like those guys. And again, this is obviously us choosing these in a vacuum um, with no knowledge of what we may need at positions. But I, but I think that that really goes to show you when you really think about it, Paul, how many running backs and, and wide receivers did we take? It seemed like it was almost, it seems like it was almost right down the middle.
0: Yeah. Five wide receivers, five running backs, two quarterbacks, you know? So I, I think it's interesting. I think maybe in, in a real draft setting, that's super flex. Maybe Justin Herbert comes off the board because they're in such high demand, especially if he's top 10. Uh If not, he would definitely be uh, squarely in the mix for the next pick or two. Uh Jordan Love, obviously, if he had the pedigree of a first round pick, he'd be in the conversation the next couple picks. Uh and then I think it would really be a lot more wide receivers. Now, yeah, maybe a wide maybe another running back lands in an ideal situation uh and has some draft capital in terms of day two, whether it's Zach Moss or A.J. Dillon or Eno you know, Benjamin. Uh, but I think the next few picks, in addition to those quarterbacks, if they go in the top ten or top fifteen in Herbert and Love, I think it would be a lot more wide receivers. I think you'd be looking at uh LaVisca Chenault, it's probably in most people's top twelve. Uh, He's still there. Henry Ruggs, KJ Hamler, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Michael Pittman. These are all guys who are probably going to be gone. the top 50 picks. So I think those are the guys that would probably be next uh, in terms of guys that should be coming off the board uh, in a dynasty rookie draft. Like I said, maybe a couple of those running backs if they landed in good situations and they had day two draft capital in Moss or Benjamin or Dylan, uh, Herbert and Love we mentioned, and maybe, you know, because it was tight end premium, maybe you see a tight end uh, start coming off the board in the middle of round two. But I even think in the tight end premium, yep. you'd see more tight ends not come off the board into more late round two. I think a lot of those receivers, Chenault, Ruggs, Hamler, Jefferson, Ayuk, Pittman, uh, I think all of those guys, plus the quarterbacks, plus probably a running back or two that lands in a good situation, I think those would be the guys that would probably make up the gist of round two. And then maybe Maybe a, a tight end or two and tight end premium sneaks in the back portion of round two, but I think t- I think round two would be made up of a lot of wide receivers. You know, somewhere between five to seven wide receivers, a running back or two that lands in a good spot, a quarterback or two if we're talking super flex, and then a tight end or two.
1: Yeah, no, and I, and I think that was a really great exercise just to kind of put a a really good kind of sign seal and deliver on this year's tear buster show, Paul. Any final comments before we kind of close it out?
0: No, absolutely. Uh, not too much, guys. Hopefully you're enjoying these tearbuster shows as much as Matt and I enjoy doing them. They are our favorite shows of the year. It is the perfect way to get ready for the NFL Combine and kick off your pre-draft coverage. If you're someone who doesn't follow the NFL, that I mean, doesn't follow college football all that closely until the NFL season ends, hopefully these shows really set the stage and give you a good synopsis on, you know, who these... Uh, upcoming rookies are and kind of get you in the, the mindset of the NFL draft and the pre-draft process, putting them into tiers. Uh, and then it's just a great way to to kind of, you know, learn a little bit more about how Matt and I think about these prospects, evaluate these prospects, and hopefully it intrigues you enough to get over to the website ssfootball.com or Saturday to number two com and check out our premium notebooks, uh, if you enjoy these tiers, if you enjoy this discussion, I think you really will enjoy the notebooks. You get four notebooks for $9.99. It's a tremendous value. You get the scouting notebooks, which I mentioned before, has 93 player profiles for this upcoming draft class at the moment strengths, developmental areas, functional areas, NFL role, NFL draft projection, how they win, fantasy spin. It has another 25 to 30 guys who did not declare but were draft eligible profiles on. Our rankings notebook has all our tiers and we continue to update them throughout the pre-draft process. It has draft rankings. It has dynasty rookie rankings. It has Debbie rankings. uh, So much more in that. And then in late March to mid-April, you get the freshman notebook and you get the draft projections notebook, all included for $9.99. Please, it is the best way to support the show and really help us continue to do what we're doing on a regular basis. Uh, in terms of some housekeeping, we will have a combine preview show uh, to kick off uh, next week for you because the combine has been moved up a little bit. So the combine is now on Thursday, with all the running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks going first. So we'll make sure we try to get out the show early in the week, so then you guys uh, can check that out before the combine. We'll have a combine recap shows, and then we really start getting into our guest portion of the of the of the calendar where. After we've talked about all these guys with our tears, we've done combine recaps, you know, really that March and April, we try to bring some of the, the most unique and interesting uh, people in our industry on the show to get their takes and talk about these prospects with them and set the stage uh, for NFL draft weekend, which is in the latter part of April. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.